welcome to a new episode of Success Stories. This is your host Marlene and as you can probably already hear, today's episode is going to be in English. I'm super happy and delighted to share this episode with you and I'm sharing an interview with the two most important teachers in my life. Um, for everyone who knows me personally, I have been talking about them probably non-stop over the last uh, two and a half, three years. So you may have heard their names already. I'm talking about Emma and Octavio Salvado. Um, in May 2018, I did my yoga teacher training, my 200-hour yoga teacher training with Octavio in Bali. And back then... Um, He um, introduced me on a, <laughs> basically introduced the entire yoga teacher training group um, to his wife um, on a Sunday when we were doing an excursion to um, the water temple in Ubud and we participated in a blessing ceremony. And um, ever since I saw Emma for the first time, I do really have to say um, she has been a total girl crush for me. I saw this woman with her husband and with, his, with her son and I just felt like, okay, if that means being 40, if that means being a wife, if that means being a woman, that's exactly what I want to be. And I just remember back then I was still, to be quite honest, a little bit shy and intimidated um, to to reach out or to have a conversation with her. But I remember um, probably almost like a week after I met her in the in the water temple, I met her um, by accident in a Shady Shack for lunch. And I still remember that I went over to her and I said, hey, Emma, I'm doing the yoga teacher training at Octavio uh, at the moment. And I just wanted to let you know what a wonderful woman you are. And I still remember how super gently and cute and nice and kind she reacted towards my little friend attack. And then um, fast forward, I kept on studying with Octavio um, whenever he started launching a lot of online um, programs, um, trainings. Um, I'm a big fan of his app Moonsun Fire, the yoga app. And I'm also using the practice online a lot for my own practice. And in June last year, so in June 2020, I started a mentoring program with Emma. And I do have to say, um, yeah, the combination of this power couple has absolutely changed my life. And um, therefore, I'm really happy that when I approached them, to have a podcast interview um, that they agreed and took the time. And so I'm really, really happy to share this interview with you. Um, I'm going to link their profiles in the show notes so you can um, have a look and maybe even reach out or gather more information about the trainings, about the practice and the offerings that um, Emma and Octavio are sharing. Um, in this interview, we are going to talk about um, the current ongoing situation and how it can be interpreted from a yogi perspective. Um, Emma and Octavio are both yoga teachers and they are both initiated into the Sri Vidya lineage and they are both very dedicated students as well. So I know that they both are doing their due diligence and are keeping studying all the time. So I thought it would be really inspiring and interesting to understand a different perspective on what is going on at the moment. We're also talking about family, we're talking about relationships, we're talking about how to connect to the soul, how to remain calm and stable in these times of uncertainty, how to to find truth really within yourself and not within the TV or within the news channel. And um, yeah, we, we are also talking about yoga and meditation, what it is and what it isn't. And I just want to warn you right from the beginning, it can be a bit triggering to be quite honest and it was my intention in the beginning of the interview um, Octavio asked me if we can be candid and to be quite honest I didn't understand that word and I said yeah we can totally poke the hornet's nest <laughs> so um, 
Yes, it uh, it can be a little bit triggering. Um, 2020 has been a big trigger for me personally. I'm also going to share a couple of those things in the interview as well. Um, my life view or my worldview, um, so to say, has really been challenged in 2020 and it almost felt like in metrics taking the red pill and then all of a sudden waking up and realizing like, oh, oh, all right, that's what's going on at the moment. Um, right, fine. So um, I wish you a lot of fun. I would definitely recommend you to listen um, to the end. Emma is sharing some really great insights on the practice of family and the practice of relationship. And I think it's absolutely worth listening to, to both of their experience and both of their wisdom. So I'm wishing you lots of fun. If you have any questions, please feel free to reach out. Um, you will find an Instagram post on uh, my account, Modern uh, Lowercase Sangha, where you can um, type in your questions or comments if you have any. Um, that was quite a long intro, but I think it was absolutely worth it. I'm going to stop now and I'm going to leave you with the interview. Have fun. Hello, Octavio. Hello, hello, Emma. I'm so, so happy to see you both on my podcast today. I'm super nervous. My voice is probably shaking a little bit for the first couple of minutes because I could probably say that you two are basically my two favorite rock stars in the world and you have changed my life so dramatically. So it's an absolute honor to have you here today. Thank you, Marlene. You know, we talk about you in our household as well. And it's always with so much love. And whenever we hear your name or a message from you pops up, we always smile and we always enjoy that because we have a lot of love for you and a lot of appreciation for what you're doing as well. So it's, it's mutual. That feeling is mutual. Thank you so much. I, I think I'm going to cry. <laughs> yeah, how are you doing? Babe, how are we doing? We're doing good. We're, we're really doing good, I think. We are. Yeah, I think we've, we've, um, we've turned a corner. I think we finished 2020 and we've moved into 2021. And I feel like it's, it's a, a big year for us already. It's gathered a lot of momentum and, and we're doing really good as a result of it. Yeah. Yeah, I've really enjoyed the, the last 12 months You know, I, I feel in so many ways, it's really cut the wheat from the chaff and it's revealed a lot uh, who, who our real friends are, what's really important to us. It's really just been a, a distillation of, of the most important things, just boiling it all down, stripping it all back to, to what's really, really important and who's really, really important. So I've really enjoyed it. I love a good uh, culling process. Yeah, I know that. <laughs> and that's what I, what I admire you for a lot, I think. Um, of course, 2020 has been really challenging for, for me as well. And I think that um, both of you, Emma's mentoring and your presence and teaching have been probably the most important cornerstones and rocks in my life over the last um, couple of months and really helped me to come out of this uh, year 2020 with um, yeah with a good feeling I actually like uh, when when there was uh, New Year's Eve I didn't feel like this was a horrible year or something like that um, it's actually quite the opposite it has been one of the best years of my entire life in a in a very weird kind of way And um, I think this is also something that we are going to talk about um, today a little bit because I wanted to open up this space and share some of my most important teachers with my community and um, give a little bit of insight into how you are perceiving the current situation. And what I was really curious about, because I know that you are both um, teachers, but you are also very dedicated students. Um, and I was really curious to know if your study and your research in the yogi tradition has revealed anything to you about what is going on at the moment. That's, that's a very big topic, Marlene. <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, 
where do we where do we even start with all that? Mm. What I will say is that from the yogic perspective, time is not linear. It actually moves in cycles. So when we look back on these great events like the Mahabharat War and really any time that, that dark forces have taken over the planet in one way or the other, only to be overcome by the forces of good, that's exactly what we're seeing. We're just seeing it in a modern context. But this is the Bhagavad Gita. This is all of those triumphant battles between good and evil just playing out in 2020, 2021. Um, so, yeah, the yoga tradition, and I'd, I'd say almost all other traditions, whether we're talking Christian or Mayan or yogic, they all have a very similar story. And that's that time moves in cycles and there must be times of density and darkness. And that's normal. Uh, but ultimately, uh, the light prevails 100% of the time, no matter how deep and how dark it gets. And I feel like we're on the precipice of that shift, like M was saying, um, you know, coming into this year, something has shifted. The, the grittiness and a lot of the corruption and confusion is still there, but underneath it, there is this mighty power surge which is coming up and it's full of light and truth and, and goodness. Yeah, absolutely. How do you feel about it, Emma? Yeah, for, for me, I, I can really just echo what Octavio was saying. I suppose for me more than, than anything else, my, my year last year was kind of umbrellaed or overshadowed, I suppose, with um, the fear of being a parent more than anything else. Now, that was kind of my biggest worry last year. What does, what does this mean to the children? What kind of world are our children growing up in? What kind of world have I brought the children into? You know, that was really my biggest struggle actually last year. Mm -hmm. And I suppose seeing how the children have grown and spread their wings um, for different reasons, both of them, and how last year has completely changed even my outlook on schooling and parenting in some ways as well. Um, and then moving into this year and feeling that everything has, has started from a really stable base in regards to that. Um, so that's really, that's really been or was my biggest fear last year. And it's actually turned into one of, I feel, our biggest victories as a family. Um, it's definitely brought us a lot closer together not only the two of us, you and I, um, but also with the children, with our extended family. And I feel also in regards to our teaching and our studentship as well. Mm -hmm. You know, I think it's really, yeah, it's condensed everything uh, for us. And it's been, it's been an amazing year. It really has. Like I think about the date now and it's almost a year to the month when things really started to shift and, and it's been, yeah, pretty epic 12 months. Yeah, it really, it really has been. And I think it's also really interesting to hear from your perspective, what has been um, the biggest struggle or the biggest challenges that you have been through. And mm -hmm. I just remember for myself that in the first couple of weeks, it was just, um, a moment of shock almost like not knowing what was going on and I can even like remember there was this one situation when they were like um, discussing things on, on news back when I was still watching um, the news <laughs> <laughs> and um, I almost had like a panic attack and I couldn't like breathe anymore and I was talking to Sebastian and I said oh, I think I have Corona, I can't breathe anymore. And he just laughed at me and he said, let's go for a walk and get some fresh air and then everything is going to be fine again. But I still remember how I was really buying into all of these, this whole fear narrative that was going on and um, that I was really in shock. And then um, Octavio was actually my, my, my savior, to be quite honest, because you gave me those triggers like sharing some information where I felt like oh my god what is going on and I was really sitting at home and I was really like struggling with 
is this really the truth? What is going on? It was so um, provoking and so triggering. That it was really difficult for me to, to, um, to swallow the red pill, to be quite honest. I watched Matrix last night. That's why I'm probably <laughs> talking about these words right now. Um, so how is your key takeaway? How do we deal with all of these different opinions and different agendas and different states of information? How can we meet each other with respect and not belittle each other in terms of like, oh, you haven't been waking up yet. And that's why you still believe in the stupid narrative that's going on, which is probably not the right way to move forward, I guess. Hmm. I'm probably not the best person to ask, Marlene. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I think what you said, Marlene, before about switching off the news is one of the most important things that people can do. And I'd also echo that by saying um, just be very mindful about the, the the quality of the information that's now available through social media platforms like Facebook and Instagram who we now know and see and are actually very public about it, that they're censoring anything that goes against the narrative. So if we want the truth, we really have two options. We have to dig a little bit deeper and do some independent research, not use Google as a search engine, but really get creative um, in terms of where we look and how we research. And there is a lot of amazing, amazing uh, information out there. So that's the first thing. And then the, the ultimate thing is to just learn to trust our intuition more, regardless of what the celebrities are saying, the politicians are saying, uh, the experts, the Fauci's and the Burks's and all of these people who, you know, 10 years ago, we would have liked to think we had our best interests at heart. Now we know that that is clearly not true. So we, we cannot trust the people uh, just because they are in positions of power. We have to empower ourselves by learning to trust our own intuition more and then having the, 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 the spine, the tenacity, the desire, I would say, to really dig deep and do our own research. Now we have to do that. It's, uh, we have the time, we've been locked up in cages for 12 months. There's no reason why anyone can't do independent research and find re what's really going on. There's really no excuse other than laziness. Well, laziness and not wanting to have worldviews challenged, which might be a bigger conversation. For me as well, I, I also feel <clears throat> There's definitely an element of compassion comes into it because I think once you realize that on the whole, I feel like we're all wanting the same thing. <laughs> we're all wanting peace. We're all wanting for things to um, be okay, but we're all coming at it from a, a different place and a different point of view. And so my personal way of being able to deal with people um, has been to, to kind of think, well, they, they really just want things to be okay. And they're kind of hoping that things will go back to normal or things will be all right. And so there's definitely that element of having to step up, I suppose, ourselves. And if we believe something to be correct, and we believe that there is a, a a truth out there that's not being told, that almost it's our responsibility to stand in the fire in many respects and not be afraid to, to talk about this and to talk about the, a different narrative, to talk about um, an alternative way of looking at what's happening at the moment. Because as we know, we have friends and family, I'm sure, um, that really their opinions about what's happening in the world has come from and always will come from the mainstream media and people who have a very specific agenda in saying what they're saying. And so I suppose that's, that's really been the, you know, the challenge this last year um, is a researching, which Octavio has done a lot of, um, more than me, to be honest. I get the 
I get the golden nuggets at the end of the day. You get the executive summary from him. <laughs> download at the end of the evening, <laughs> which is so good for me because I don't think I could be researching in the way that he does, but he's so thorough with not only this, but with everything. And so I know that if he's been spending time, you know, plowing through the, the quagmire of information that's out there, I know that he's definitely... Um, got the goods at the end of the day and and it's been really good for me actually because I think as a woman our you know natural instinct is to think everything's you know sparkly and peace and love and light and it's really good to have that kind of male presence who sees the world in a, a little bit of a clearer way than I do at times and And then be able to take that out to our family, to our friends, to be able to kind of drip feed things to people and, and kind of meet them where they're at, as opposed to, you know, throwing a grenade into the middle of a family situation, for instance, um, and, and letting them suffer the, the kind of fallout of information. So it's been good for us in that respect. We've been able to kind of slowly, you know, in, in our own way, be able to, to drip feed information to people who may not necessarily um, have the capacity or want to, to look outside what it is that they're taking in. Yeah. Yeah, I, I completely uh, agree. And I think uh, like so many things, it does come back to intuition, knowing mm -hmm. when to fight mm -hmm. and when to give space. And I fully believe that there is a time for both and that knowing when to act and when to pause is a part of being a, a yogi or a yogini. This idea of the yogi is the one who is, you know, always giving space and always um, being the, the peaceful renunciate sitting in the cave. You know, people who say that haven't done their yoga research because back in the day, the, the most fierce warriors were also the most badass yogis. And these things always went together because there is a time when you have to stand up for dharma, for righteousness, uh, for, for what is true and good in the world. And, you know, you can, you can, you can namaste the, and om shanti, the demons, as much as you like, but if you don't get your swords out and your shields out and your arrows out, you know, they're going to take care of you pretty quickly. So there is a time to fight, and it's just about knowing what is what is a compulsion coming from the soul level and what is a reaction coming from the ego level. You yeah. know, and that's, that's uh, something that, that only comes to us through deepening our own connection to self through practice, I believe. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think um, my practice has changed over the, these last 12 months a lot. I started also using um, the Moon Sun Fire app, which I really, really love. Thanks, And Molly. I'm, I'm now um, with one of those master practices that you shared, um, this Tripura Sundari practice. Mm -hmm. And I love it so, so much because on one hand, it gives me this, um, what Emma just said, this femininity, this sparkle and love and open heart. But at the same time, I also feel like I'm connected enough in order to know when is the right time to make a move and when is the right time to, to stay put and to mm -hmm. observe and to um, just look what's going on. And it was just really interesting for me, as I, as I mentioned, at some point I followed your advice and I didn't watch the news for a very long time. And then I think it was last weekend, there is, um, it's, it's like a comedy show, but it's a political comedy show. Um, and I, it's from the German mainstream media and I, and I watched it and they all of a sudden started scaring people from bitcoins and i was like oh my god it's so interesting how they're using their platforms as well to um to really make sure that we stick with the old system and that we don't look for alternatives and that we don't see what what's actually actually being done to our currencies at the moment and that they're getting super instable and inflated and um, maybe going to collapse at some point And really wanting to make sure that people don't have any alternatives and fully depend on the old system. Yes, it's going to be very interesting, Marlene, what happens with the, uh, the financial systems uh, around the world. I mean, we've just seen uh, 
Russia pull out of the fiat system, which is absolutely amazing. I'm, I'm super proud of the, the Russian peeps for doing that. And I really hope that other systems, uh, other countries follow because we need to be done with that system because that system is absolute slavery. Yeah. So uh, let's, let's see what happens. Bitcoin, you know, I'm on the fence about Bitcoin. You know, I'm a little bit more old fashioned and uh, we like to in invest in, you know, Precious metals. We went and bought some silver bullion the other day because uh, we have a good feeling about what's going to happen with silver in the future. Whereas Bitcoin, you know, it's uh, it's so new. It's so yeah. new. Um, you know, maybe it's a maybe it's an absolutely amazing thing. But uh, we, you know, we like the old school, so we just want chunks of gold and silver. You know, I want something that I can touch. Yeah, <laughs> they feel the weight of that of that silver bar. You know, so. But, uh, you know, I agree with you, um, something has to shift mm -hmm. and something will shift. It's just going to be really interesting to see how, how it shifts. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's so interesting to see that. Um, I, I also, like, mentioned it before that you were the ones, like, sharing different kind of information that was not in line with the mainstream narrative and that really helped me to open my eyes and to to look at things differently i think what was really helpful for me was that i had a really deep trust towards you it's not like and you say that yourself as well that you don't see yourself as a guru or as gurus or as the holy teachers that you just mindlessly follow without questioning or without like looking at what's going on but I really felt like a deep trust that I can definitely have a look at the information that you were sharing because you you would never do anything with a with a negative intention or with harmful intentions or something like that but I can also see that the last year has been really challenging for you guys as well in terms of um people responding very negatively to your truth and you standing in your truth and sharing your truth. How, how was that for you? Interesting. Interesting. Like I said before, there was one part of me that was very, very grateful because it revealed to me where my uh, alignments are, where my core vibrational, core belief alignments are. And I think that's something that's very important. And on the other hand, of course, it's uh, it's difficult for, for anyone to receive negative feedback. But I just, you know, what I did, I just looked at Donald Trump, who had half the world bagging him for things that were completely untrue. And I just took inspiration from him, like, wow, if he can take it from all angles 24-7, you know, what do I care if a few yogis are calling me crazy? Like, I can, I can handle it. <laughs> I think that's so brave, to be quite honest. I think not being liked or being rejected is one of my biggest attachments or one of my biggest fears that I'm working on. Mm -hmm. And I think uh, you are truly an inspiration to to stand in your truth and to do what you believe is right and to not care about losing followers or pissing some people off here and there. I think a, I think a huge part of that as well, Marlene, was because of our of our family unit. Mm -hmm. I think that what we used to say to each other quite often last year was, well, if you've got my back, that's all that matters. Right. And, and so there was almost that, that bravery that kind of came up at various times last year. And we almost had to check in with each other. Yeah. You know, is this right? Yes. Have you got my back? Yes. Have I got your back? Yes. Okay. Let's, let's keep going. And, and I really believe that that was part of the power or the wings that, uh, that we had kind of around us and between us, mm -hmm. even in regards to the kids and Maya and Noah. And I felt like we had such a, a, a strong family team unit here that we were kind of able to, you know, put the shields up and, and just kind of keep pushing forward because I think things were so stable for us at home that it gave us the capacity to be able to go out and feel that strength and not be, undeterred and and not be afraid and um, 
yeah, even whenever things were a little bit, yeah, nasty at times, we always knew that we had the opportunity to be able to come home and talk it out and, and air our feelings and, and really disperse anything that was negative. And, you know, I can always remember my dad saying to me, all publicity is good publicity. So <laughs> go figure. <laughs> That's absolutely a great one. And I also really loved your advice on like fostering a stable family. I think that's also something that has been lost over the last couple of, I don't know, decades or maybe even, yeah, for, yeah years. So um, I, I really admire your, your work, Emma, in terms of um, creating a stable family and the practice of family. So... <laughs> What, what do you think, what, what can people now being at home, locked up with their families, um, not having the tools or the skills to really build a stable family foundation, how can we start to, to do that again? I really think that the huge opportunity that we have at the moment Is, is really taking things back to basics in regards to families. You know, what are, the, what are the reasons that we're together? What are the reasons that we have chosen to commit to, you know, our beloved, chosen to have children, chosen to live within the, the family unit? And so I really feel like this is an opportunity for families to become a lot more honest with each other, uh, a lot braver in in the family unit in regards to what it is that they need or, or who it is that they actually are. You know, I, I've heard from a lot of people who maybe were in relationships or in marriages that a lot of their week they were apart. You know, one person was either working away and the other person was at home with the kids or vice versa, or just, you know, day by day, there were eight, nine, 10 hours of the day that people weren't necessarily together, you know, hour after hour. And so I suppose the biggest change has been the amount of time that people are, are together and, and that opportunity to really see the person that they're with, as opposed to maybe this idea that they have of this person, you know, seeing this, um, this family member or this partner, you know, in, in all of their um, faces. And so I would say that really this is an opportunity for us to, to kind of cut off the frills and really get down to the nitty gritty of what family life is really all about. For me, that's love and compassion and growth. Um, I don't know what you would add to that, but I really feel that in regards to being at home with the people you love is simplicity. You know, taking things back to, to, you know, asking your family members how they're doing rather than just expecting people to be a certain way, you know, rather than, um, you know, having a preconceived idea of who that person is or what it is that they believe or how they're feeling. You know, this is an opportunity for us to really start asking more questions and start communicating in a different way. Um, so that really would be my number one um, take on, on this lockdown for families is communication and everything else will kind of, you know, unfold from that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You, anything more to say to that? No, I, I agree with what you're saying. I think that it's, um, this is, this experience has provided us with an opportunity to really get to the core of some, some, uh, You know, when there's more space, there's more opportunity to skirt around the edges of issues that maybe need to be dealt with. Mm -hmm. uh, we haven't had that liberty in the last year and, and probably less so for a lot of other people who weren't even able to go out of their houses. Yeah. But within that, there's such a golden opportunity to just get right to the core of things. And I really feel like our relationship, our marriage has evolved so beautifully over the last 12 months in particular and we've really been able to cut away you know um different things and and sort of understand what what are the things that are going to hurt our relationship 
because you can see them so clearly under this pressure. Yeah. And what are the things that this relationship really needs? So one of the things that we now do, and we're actually, you know, five minutes, that's why we're a couple of minutes late, actually, Miley. <laughs> I'm not going to say what you think I'm going to say. But, <laughs> uh, but one of the things that we commit to now on a daily basis is just having a few minutes just hugging on the couch. Mm. And it's just been so amazing. You know, one of, uh, well, not one of, your, your main love language is, is physical touch. Mm -hmm. There we go. <laughs> and, uh, I think for a lot of women, yeah. Yeah, and just, it, it's so, it's literally three minutes or something, but just making that commitment and yeah, just coming to that understanding that those three minutes are actually vitally important. They represent something, something much, much bigger. They represent that I'm listening to my wife, that I, I care about what, it, you know, is my wife feels and, and wants and, you know, and that intimate, that, that non-sexual intimacy is important. That yeah. just, just connecting as well is, is also very, very important. So that's been amazing. You know, I feel like we've, we've, refined our marriage to such a beautiful point and it will continue to refine but the last year has given me personally a lot of insights how to be a better partner and and work within the family unit much yeah. much much better yeah yeah it's been amazing you've been an amazing partner this last year that i can say for sure um, <laughs> Thanks, and it's been super enjoyable you know i've loved that we have really got to the core of what it is that we need to do to make us work yeah and and what makes our lives flourish and what makes us happy and all of the other stuff that doesn't you know be able to kind of cut the cords to that quite quickly and it's been super fun you know just even how we've been able to schedule our days and support each other even as our working life has changed this last year and and obviously having Noah and schedules with him and you know it's been amazing as you know Marlene I have a lot of work kind of condensed into the afternoons because of my mentoring with my my students in Europe and so Octavio has just stepped into that role in the afternoons and been there for Noah and giving me those few hours that I can kind of switch off from mum life and be fully committed to what it is that I need to do in regards to, you know, supporting my students. And so just even those refinements, like this non-verbal non communication that we have, just being able to kind of weave and dance our way through um, these last months especially has just been such a gift for us. And um, I wouldn't change it for the world. Like, yeah, it's just been incredible. So beautiful to see you two as a couple and to see you grow together as well. And I think you're such an inspiration, at least for me, also to understand what kind of woman I want to become in the future and what kind of relationship I want to grow with my partner. Because seeing you in real flesh and showing me that it's possible to, to achieve this kind of state of relationship is just so inspiring, honestly. It's... Um, pumping my heart like crazy and um, so beautiful to see. And like, um, I think I did the yoga teacher training when um, you were engaged to Emma Octavio and also seeing how, how you changed through the closer relationship with Emma is really interesting um, to see. Yes, you know, it's, uh, <laughs> I look. I look back at at, at my past with uh, a little bit of shyness and embarrassment, and uh, but you know, we're we're all on a, an evolutionary journey. But um, I have to say that the the last how long have we been together? Almost four years now. Four years yeah. have been the the most transformational mm -hmm. in in a in a positive sense and uh, Emma is just so so patient and so compassionate and that's allowed me to just self-reflect in a way that previously um, I either wasn't able to do or chose not to do uh, so yeah the last four years have been very very trans transformative 
in personally and in terms of the way that I experience relationships as well. Yeah, that's Thanks. so beautiful to have these <laughs> great role models that you are to to really understand that actually what we see on television most of the times, what is being described as a relationship or as a family is actually quite distorted and quite dysfunctional and that we have to switch all of these things off and create our own picture of relationship and even Like through the work with Emma, what became really clear to me over those last couple of months, which has been super transformational for me and for my relationship with Sebastian, was this idea of that we're being constantly told not to tell the truth. Like mm -hmm. even from the moment when we are kids on and we are still quite intuitive and very good connected and we can see that at the birthday party, uh, uncle whatsoever is holding hands with another woman next to him. And you can really feel that there's dishonesty and, and things in a like distorted kind of way. And once we raise our hand and we say something about it, we are being told to be quiet and not to talk about it and to not trust our intuition and to not trust the body language and, and the signals that we are receiving on a, on a different kind of level. And I think that was also something that I still held within me not to tell my partner the truth about how I feel. But once I started doing that, it completely changed the course of our relationship within a day. And that's crazy. Wow. Yeah, it's, um, it's definitely a practice, especially whenever we've been in relationships where speaking the truth would be ringing the bell of <laughs> you know, everything being over. You know, it's oftentimes a pretty... A difficult place to step into but like even yesterday we were on we went to the beach yesterday for our three hours of sunshine on a Sunday afternoon and uh, you know and, and I wanted to say something to you that I felt nervous and kind of scared to say but honestly that and it's and it had been something that I had been stressing over uh, for a little while and the freedom that I felt from actually verbalizing what I needed to and feeling safe that I knew there would be no, you know, outburst or retaliation or freak out and just how compassionate and how sweet he was and supportive in responding to, to my needs and listening <laughs> to me was just, you know, every time that happens, it's another gold star it, it, to my, To my programming to, to let me know that it's safe to, to, to tell the truth, that it's safe for me to be authentically me and to show that vulnerability and to show my fears and to show, you know, the things where previously would have been used against me in many ways or, or used as a punishment. Um, knowing that I have a safe container to be able to be honest is, is really just such a gift. Yeah. Yeah, those moments which we quite often avoid because they're uncomfortable and unfamiliar and there's that potential risk there for things going sideways. Like you just said, Marlene, those are the things that have the potential to yield the most light and evolution. And they are built-in functions of a relationship, just like pulsation is a built-in function of life. There's no growth without pulsation. So it's just about, you know, allowing those moments of, of, of friction to not cause destruction, but to create, create a, a new space, some create something new, a new reality out of that, that shared wisdom that comes from the, the honesty brought forward in that moment. And you need, a, you need some of that friction, just like you need to strike a, a match to create fire. You need that, but it's, It's just about understanding that those moments, they don't need to be that ringing of the bell, that whenever there's that look in Emma's eye or look in my eye and I know, okay, here comes the conversation, you know. I need to tell you something or I want to talk about something. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, all right. <laughs> but, but I know that this is that moment where there is, some kind of opportunity for evolution being presented. It's not, it's not an opportunity 
that's an attack or an opportunity for something to go wrong, I always know that when that moment presents itself, ah, here we go. This is something major. Octavio, pay attention. Pay attention. Stay calm. Stay focused. Stay calm. <laughs> exactly. We were on the beach yesterday, so it was good. <laughs> Public outbursts. <laughs> no, but I, I really felt it. It's actually quite funny because it really struck a nerve to me today in my practice when I, I have you constantly in my ear telling me all of these wise and, and good things when I'm, when I'm practicing. Um, and I, it was this moment in Danurasana and you said, can you even admit this challenge, stay in the presence of Om Shanti? And this kind of like, okay, there's a challenge. It's a struggle. It's uncomfortable. Danurasa is definitely uncomfortable. And um, almost like Utkatasana, that's my least favorite one. But um, <laughs> and, and really, really now, I, I mean, it's been three years that I did the training and it seems like now after three years, I finally come to the point where I really understand why I'm staying in certain uncomfortable asanas because it's this kind of training that helps me when in life this moment that you just described that you had at the beach and I had it last week um, in, a, in another situation to stay calm and not to lose my shit kind of. Mm. Absolutely Marlene and that's what asana is really for. There's a major, you know, I would call it a, an, an, a yoga epidemic that because we're not staying in poses long enough, we're not learning how to be non-reactive. Mm -hmm. And that's a major issue. I think that's uh, something that is creating something in the modern yoga world that's creating more problems than it's solving. It's this uh, constant over-stimulation of the sympathetic nervous system where it's in a hot room, there's music going, it's dynamic poses, there's ujjayi breathing, all of these things are, are counterproductive when it comes to learning to be less reactive. And we really need to think about that. It's not a, it's not a joke. I would certainly say that one of the reasons that I am more able to hear things and receive things these days, it's not just because, you know, Emma is the amazing woman that she is. It is that, but it's also because my practice has changed And I learned the hard way through the school of hard knocks that if you do those poses, if you keep moving through asanas very quickly, you destabilize your, your, your inner capacity for emotional stability. Yeah, that's so important. And I mean, to, to be quite honest, ever since I started practicing with you, I can't go to any other yoga class anymore. It just like doesn't make sense and I have to leave the room immediately because I feel like, no, I even feel like I'm turning a little bit into a yoga police, but um, that's probably just my little attachment that I have with right practice. But um, what I love the most and what really stuck with me is that you always said that your life is basically the best checkpoint to see whether your practices are working or not. Exactly. And it definitely showed me that as well. And you, you mentioned before, um, like this one source of truth that we only find within ourselves is something that we can access through practice. So what would you recommend to people maybe listening at the moment and not having a yoga practice at the moment How, how to start and how to make sure that you are having the right and a good yoga practice? To begin with, be the yoga police. You're officially <laughs> deputized. <laughs> We need more. We need more people who will <laughs> get up and walk out if the yoga teacher is not honoring the yoga tradition. It's really interesting as you say that, you know, I think a huge part of the reason why we're all still practicing traditional Tantra Katha yoga is trust. You know, we trust the system, we trust the results. Mm. And I think a huge part of what is wrong with that old system is the lack of trust. So if we're talking about relationships or we're talking about yoga, whatever it is that we're talking about, I feel like that is, you know, one of the things that keeps us coming back is that element of trust that we have 
in the practice, in the in the results of, of how we're going to feel at the end of that class. And, and modern yoga just doesn't have any trust in it. There's, there's no trustability for me personally, you know, going to a class in this kind of, well, I'm hoping that I'm going to, you know, feel better at the end of it, but who knows mm. that kind of element for me is, is not what I want whenever I go to practice, especially if it was an open class. And so that's what I love. That's what I love as a, as a teacher and that's what I love as a student that mm. element of you know dependability on this practice on these practices yeah yeah absolutely uh, Marlene I would say that uh, just for your listeners uh, when we're talking about yoga practice I think it's good just to distinguish what that actually means and it's more, we're really talking more about meditation than we are about asana. So that would be the first thing that I would say is, yes, do a little bit of asana, but do less poses, hold them for longer, work on what we spoke about, which is developing this, this capacity for non-reactivity, plus deeper awareness of the breath and all of those things. Those are all very, very helpful. But the real key to transforming the mind, it doesn't, it, it doesn't happen in asana. That's why in the Yoga Sutra, which is the text on yoga, the word asana is mentioned four times. And one of those times is just in a list of practices. So out of 196 very, very concise, accurate statements that Patanjali offers, we have the word asana in really three of them. That's how much of a major part asana should play in our yoga practice yes it can be very helpful but ultimately if we want to transform the mind then we have to sit still with it we have to be with it and we have to learn how to guide it towards a more single pointed space and ultimately use that single pointedness to reconnect with a deeper part of our our being that's what meditation is really, really uh, about. It, that's how we fulfill the promise of yoga, which is what? Living beyond suffering, living beyond fear, living in a, a world that's full of joy. That joy is resourced from within, and it's only through meditation that that happens. So would you even say that somebody who is not even practicing asana can still be a yogi? Yes, 100%. And I'd even go further, Marlene, and say that someone who's practicing asana every day might not ever be a yogi. Yeah, I think it's so important to, to make that really clear because there is still this picture of yoga related to asana practice and um, actually mindless asana practice, um, not very well-structured, not looking for the energetics that are happening in the background and then maximum doing a shavasana and then jumping up, leaving the room and continuing moving on to the next step is not really what yoga is about. That's why we need more yoga police. <laughs> oh my God. Oh, but, I, but sometimes I really feel like I'm, I'm exaggerating my uh, yoga policing a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> So um, a first step for people to wanting to more connect deeply to themselves could even be to start a meditation practice. Definitely, but it's also important to realize that meditation is not just sitting there doing nothing. Yeah. That's also very important. So I would say the first step would be to cultivate a breathing practice. Mm -hmm. You know, that's something that's a little bit more tangible that ultimately leads to a more meditative state. Uh, so doing something like Savitri breathing mm -hmm. or alternate nostril breathing for 10, 15 minutes a day, and then just resting in the space of, of what that practice provides, just sitting there in stillness and silence one, two, three minutes after you've done the practice, that's a pretty good way to open, uh, open ourselves up to what meditation is and the breath is a very uh, wonderful ambassador for meditation 
So that would be my that would be my advice to begin with. Start with breathing practice. And I guess I, I think like the breathing practices, like the Ekadasi practice, for example, that we did over the uh, 200-hour teacher training was really mind-blowing for me because I totally underestimated what breath can do to us, not only mentally, but also even physically. Mm -hmm. And um, I think once you have a, like established breathing practice and you can feel the effects of it probably quite fast, you will get curious anyways and want to want to dive deeper into exploring further what's the magic about it yeah 100 i think that it's just such a like i said an ambassador for for yoga that the breath is very accessible but it it lives on the um precipice on the intersection between the physical and the subtle dimensions so it can introduce us more deeply to both of those dimensions very very effectively that's great what um else would you recommend um people to to do at the moment besides not watching the news anymore and uh, breathing properly and connecting into themselves in order to to move through this epic time more stable and more graceful Spend as much time in nature as possible. <laughs> Definitely. Have um, yeah, have a have an opportunity or make an opportunity every day to connect in with nature. You know, I think that's been one of our other greatest things about this last year that we have committed to. I lived in Ibiza before I came to Bali, and I was in the the water pretty much every single day. And whenever I moved to Bali, and as you know, Marlene, you've been in Changu for long enough to know that it's not quite the Maldives style <laughs> yeah. of ocean at the end of Batu Belong. And it was really my, my biggest um, sadness, to be honest, living in Bali. I felt that I was very disconnected from the water. And so as part of our practice, This um, last year, we committed to going to the beach every Sunday as a family and getting in the ocean and, you know, getting some vitamin D and just spending time switching off, not being on our telephones and connecting in with nature. And it has been the biggest gift for us um, in our health, in our connection, just for Noah. And... You know, we feel better because we've had a bit of sun on a Sunday and it's just been such a gift, you know, no matter what the weather in Bali has been like Monday through until Saturday, it always shines. The sun always shines on Sunday for us and we get our <laughs> our epic little trip to, to Uluwatu to be in the sunshine and to be on the beach. And that that for me is is a huge um, and accessible thing that people can do every day go out and sit on their balcony or go for a walk in the park or, you know, go for a run or what, whatever that might be. Um, we all have some opportunity to connect with nature. And um, even for people that are locked down, I know that people still have a certain amount of time that they're allowed to, you know, to go and exercise each day. And I would definitely say get out in nature in that time because that is such a gift. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And hug more and hug, hug more oh, hug so in nature yeah <laughs> wow <laughs> even <laughs> hug trees if you feel like <laughs> hugging trees <laughs> for sure <laughs> yeah yeah mm. wow thank you so so much for your time it was really um super inspiring for me and um, again super great to connect with you to see you and to feel your vibe And um, yeah, I'm so, so honored and so grateful for having you in my life. And um, thank you for your time. Thank you, Marlene. It's been wonderful to, to, to see you and to chat with you a little bit. Really enjoyed it. Yeah, thank you so much. For me personally, another highlight of my 2020 year has been getting to know you, Marlene, better. No, it's been such a such a joy to watch you grow, to to see your evolution, you know, you stepping into your power and and really flying the flag for 
the teachings and for womanhood in general. So thank you very much indeed for this opportunity as well to, to share a little bit of our story. But um, yeah, for my connection with you over the last year has been such a gift. Thank you so much. It has been uh, the best decision ever to reach out to you. Um, I, I, I told this story probably already hundred times to people. When I first saw Emma in um, the water temple in, in Bali, when you took her on, on our little trip, I, I was like, oh my God, I think I have a girl crush. I don't know what to do anymore. <laughs> like, yeah, really knew it from the beginning that there is something about you. Oh, Agreed. <laughs> Great. So, um, yeah, uh, another thing that I just wanted to mention, definitely, if you ever want to practice traditional tantric hatha yoga, and this is not a paid advertisement, it's just my personal <laughs> recommendation, really check out the practice and the Moon Sun Fire app and the practice online. There are so many different opportunities and channels to also connect in with Emma and with Octavio and to get those teachings firsthand from a traditional source of, of truth and go out and work on yourself in, in order to, um, to thrive. Mm. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks, Thank Molly. you so much. God bless. <laughs>